Well, if you have your Bibles with you, you can open to Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 1. We're going to go through verse 6 this morning. This is a turning point in the gospel of Luke. Uh, Up to this point, uh, Jesus uh, has come onto the scene. Uh, His three-year ministry has begun, and he's about 18 months into his ministry, and thus far, all that ministry has been done by him. Uh, The disciples are listening to him, following him. That's what it means to be a disciple, someone who's learning. And he's called the apostles already, but none of them are participating in the ministry yet until this text. And halfway through these three years, Uh, we see a shift, uh, if you want to call it ministry strategy, from Christ in in God's plan. It's in this text. So look at verse 1, Luke chapter 9. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, When you leave that town, shake the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you use your word this morning to work in our hearts, to strengthen our trust in you, to humble us, God, to encourage us, Lord, to help us step forward in action. God, I pray that uh, if anyone doesn't know you this morning in a personal, saving way, that you might open their eyes, that they might see the hope of the good news of Christ. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start out by asking you a question. And the question is this. Are you cut out for Christian ministry? Are you cut out for Christian ministry? I assume that even the few seconds as you've been thinking through this, maybe you're asking yourselves questions like this. Am I smart enough? Do I know enough? Am I eloquent enough? Can my words actually help somebody or do my words sound too dumb when I talk and try to communicate? Do I like being in front of people? (laughs) You've probably heard of these studies they do. Uh, 
You know, most people would rather die than speak publicly. I was, I was pretty much one of those people at one point in my life. You might be asking yourself the question, do I like conflict? Or do I have enough strength? Do I have enough power or confidence or boldness for Christian ministry? If you're asking yourself those questions, you think just like the world thinks. And those are the questions that we as Christians sometimes will consider when we consider whether or not we're cut out for Christian ministry. The questions we ought to be asking are questions like this. Can I lose confidence in myself? Can I lose confidence in myself? Now that's something we all ought to be able to do. Some people struggle with pride and that's hard for them. But for those of you who are going to say, well, I don't want to be in Christian ministry because I'm not whatever, good. Can you be humbled? The question I want you to ask yourself is, can I get wisdom from God? Are you lacking wisdom? And does God offer wisdom? Ask yourself, can I pray? Can I trust? Can I read? Can I listen? Can I help? Can I talk? Like, do words come out of my mouth? Not eloquent words, words. Can you love? You see, when Paul talked to the church in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians one twenty six, he said, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what was weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what was low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. We live in a culture that the influential people are the powerful, boastful people, the ones who are on TV. The ones who have self-confidence. But Paul said, that wasn't your calling. And the reason why God called most of you is because God wants the glory. And if he works through you, then man's not going to be glorified because there's nothing impressive there. In fact, here's what Paul says about himself. The next verse, chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians and I, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and with much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of spirit and power 
so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, when I showed up, I wasn't confident in the way I was speaking. I wasn't eloquent in the way you're used to hearing from the philosophers and orators of the day. But when I spoke in weakness, your lives were changed powerfully. Which is a testimony not to Paul, but to the power of the Spirit of God through the preaching of Christ. I'll never forget eight or nine years ago when South Dakota was voting on whether or not to uh, legalize or to make illegal abortions in South Dakota. I think it was like Initiative 11. And some high-powered speakers, one of them was Alan Keyes, came to Aberdeen and was speaking in, at the First Baptist Church uh, uh, there He's an African-American man. He had run for president. He was the best orator I'd ever heard. I could have listened to him all night long. His eloquence, his power. It was just amazing. And everyone, I remember, left thinking, wow, that was preaching. That was powerful. Well, Paul says, that's not how I came to you. It's not how Christian proclamation works. You see, if you look at verse 1 of Luke 9, you see in this passage that he called 12. We've already seen that he named them apostles. We're going to look at that in a minute. But these 12 were not impressive men. They were uneducated men. They weren't great speakers. They wouldn't be who anyone would pick from a human perspective, but Christ picked them. And in order to really feel this message the way we ought to, we need to understand what an apostle is what a disciple is, what an apostle is. A disciple is a learner, someone who's following Jesus and listening. Some of the disciples were saved. Some of the disciples were curious and wanted to hear more. But the saved disciples are going to be sent out in chapter 10 of Luke. But this particular passage is speaking of the twelve that were chosen from a group of disciples. And the word apostle means sent one. And there, when, when we usually talk about apostles, we're talking about the 12 uh, that are in Luke chapter 6. But here's how their calling began. They first heard about Christ, believed and were saved. <laughs> they received the salvation call. Then we saw them called to discipleship, full-time discipleship. If you remember when uh, Peter, James, and John were uh, fishing, and Jesus said, throw your nets over the other side of the boat, and they caught all these fish, and Jesus said, 
I'm going to make you fishers of men. Follow me. They left their nets. They left their boat and they followed Jesus into full-time discipleship. Then we saw the third phase of the apostles' calling, which is when he named them, he set them apart as apostles. Luke 6.12 says this, And these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when he came, he called his disciples, and he chose from them twelve, whom he named apostles. The point here is to see the distinction They were Simon, whom he named Peter, Andrew his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Now these twelve are a distinct twelve, so much so that when Judas defects out of them, they replace Judas with Matthias. Now, to be an apostle, there's there's a certain set of qualifications you need. You need to be eyewitnesses of the risen Christ. And you need to be chosen by Him to be an apostle and commissioned by Him. Uh, Christ gave His authority and power to them in a unique way, as we'll see in this text. Everywhere Jesus went, everyone got healed. We're going to see in this text, everywhere the apostles go and preach the kingdom of God, they heal everyone. Uh, That's different from you and I. If only there'd be one apostle alive today, that still had the power to just heal everyone that they pray for, everyone they come into contact with, but it was unique to them at this particular time in history. You know, we can read the Bible and think, man, miracles are happening all the time and they don't happen anymore. Well, that's a superficial reading of the Bible because miracles in the way we saw them in Jesus's day or in Elijah's day or in Moses's day were actually quite rare. They would happen, they would happen when God was authenticating his prophets. Moses says, why would they listen to me? How how will they know I'm speaking for you? God says, what do you have in your hand? He has a staff. He says, throw it on the ground. He throws it on the ground and it becomes a serpent. That's God's way of saying, that's why they're going to listen to you. So, when Jesus shows up, Demonic activity begins like it's never been seen before. And miracles begin to happen like never seen before as God is authenticating His Son, showing Him to be a true prophet from God. And when Jesus passes this ministry to the apostles who are going to be the writers of the New Testament, as they're led by the Holy Spirit, He also shares that power with them. You know, we have false teachers, false healers today that go from town to town, they hold revivals, they claim to heal those whom they pray for, and what do they also claim? They claim to have special 
information from God not found in the Bible. God gave me a vision last night. God told me this. God told me that. Watch me heal. It's a way of saying, you ought to listen to me because God's doing great things through me. But I can just tell you, there is nobody like these apostles today. And if there was, everyone would be going there and being healed. And if they're not walking through hospitals, healing everyone they come into contact with, they're evil. If they have the power to do it, and have been commissioned to do it, all that to say they're uniquely chosen here. There's overlap with our ministry, but there's distinction. And I want to touch on the important fact of how they gave us the New Testament. Um, in John 14, 25, Jesus speaking to his apostles, here's what he said. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. He's been teaching them for three years. Now he's, now he's about to go to the cross. He says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, the Holy Spirit speaks my words, is what he's saying. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. What if they forget his teachings? Well, the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to teach you and remind you everything I have taught you. Peter says that men spoke as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's how we get in the infallible Word of God through the pen of Paul and Peter and Luke and Mark. They are God's words. In fact, in Ephesians 2.19, a letter uh, that Paul wrote later in his ministry, here's what he says to those who are mem fellow members of the household of God. He says, you are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Here's what I want to point out. Built is past tense. There's a foundation already laid for Christian ministry that at this point in time in Paul's life is past tense. It's already been laid. The apostles lay the foundation of Christ's teaching. Here's how we read it in Acts 2.42. The early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Their teaching was the standard. In 2 Corinthians, uh, or in Galatians 1.8, Paul says this weird sentence. He says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you already... Let us be accursed. <laughs> he says, I've already laid the foundation. I've already preached the gospel. If I start preaching a different gospel, to hell with me. Damn me. There's a foundation laid already. 2 Corinthians 11.3 says this, but I'm afraid, he's speaking to this church that's struggling, that as the serpent deceived Eve by his coming, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. 
For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we have proclaimed, or if you received a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accepted a different gospel from the one you accepted, he says, and you've already done this. You've put up with these false teachers readily. He's saying, what are you doing? The gospel we preach to you is the gospel. There's going to be all sorts of people that come with a different Jesus, that come with man's traditions. They want to add works to grace. But God laid a foundation through the apostles, 1 Corinthians 3.10. According to the grace given to me, this is Paul, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building on it. Let each one take care how he builds on it. For no one can lay a, a foundation other than that which is laid, past tense, which is Christ Jesus. And he's the cornerstone. So here's how it is. Jesus comes. He's the Son of God. He calls 12 apostles. He spends three years with them, teaching them and giving them the mystery that's been hidden throughout the ages, the gospel, that He's going to be the one who, uh, He is the Messiah, the one who came to be the sacrifice for sins. That's been given to them. It's been revealed to them. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. If you, if you build a building back in those days, you start with a stone that is perfectly square. And from that stone, every other measurement in the building is going to be measured. And Paul says, Jesus Christ is the cornerstone and the apostles laid the foundation. And in 1 Corinthians 3, he says, take care how you build. Are you building on the foundation? Are you using good materials? If you build outside the foundation, it's going to crumble. There's one foundation laid. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. It's the foundation of the apostles. So much so that in the new heavens and new earth in Revelation, the 12 names of the tribes of Israel are on the gates and the 12 pillars of the foundation of the city are the 12 names of the apostles. The last thing I want to say about the significance of these 12 Uh, as distinct from other disciples, is Jesus chose 12 as a judgment on Israel. Up to this point, those who are leading Israel, the religious leaders, the priests, the scribes, the Pharisees, they are all horrible shepherds that are taking advantage of God's people. The first act in Jesus' ministry is he walks into the temple and everyone's there at Passover. And this is the big time in Israel when everyone streams into Jerusalem and he overturns the tables. He drives the animals out. As a, he starts his ministry saying, this is wrong. And then he picks 12 men to replace the 12 tribes of Israel in the sense of the shepherds that represent them in their day. 
And not one of the apostles is a Pharisee, is a priest, is a scribe, everyday common men, those whom God is going to make into good shepherds that will actually take care of his flock. And this was all prophesied by the prophet Jeremiah long before Jesus showed up, long before the apostles were chosen. Listen to Jeremiah 8.10. Therefore, I'll give their wives to others and their fields to conquerors. I'm sorry, I'm reading at the wrong spot. Jeremiah 23.1. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. So, Jeremiah is the prophet speaking to God's people and he's speaking to the shepherds that rather than protecting the flock is scattering them. He says, woe to them. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you've scattered my flock, you've driven them away, you've not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Then... I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I've driven them and I'll bring them back to their fold and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds, plural, over them who will care for them and they shall fear no more nor shall they be dismayed. Neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute judgment and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he'll be called. The Lord is our righteousness. So the prophet Jeremiah said, a day's coming when I'm going to gather my sheep out of Israel. I'm going to get good shepherds for them. And there's going to be a king that comes from David's line. And he's going to rule rightly. He's going to take care of the sheep. And we see the beginning of this ministry right here in this text. Let's look at uh, verse 1 of Luke chapter 9. And there's stages as he's training them. This is like a little missionary trip, a little mission trip for him. It's short term and they're going to come back and report and he's still going to teach them for 18 more months and then he's going to give them what? The great commission. He's going to say now go to the ends of the earth. Here's what we see. And we're going to, I'm going to emphasize the overlap for our lives. And my charge to you is humbly fulfill your ministry for Christian ministry is these six things. Dependent. Look at verse 1. He called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. First thing is this. They didn't have the power, and they didn't have the authority. They're not the king. Jesus is. They are 100% dependent on receiving authority and power 
from him. Now listen to me. My opinion should count for nothing to you when it comes to things of this world, spiritual things. The only thing you should care to hear from me is what's been handed to me by the Holy Spirit, through the apostles, through the New Testament, that goes right back to Jesus' teaching. You should want to hear from Jesus. My opinions, my thoughts, my ideas, man's traditions are not what you need. You need a minister who preaches what Christ preached, who proclaims a message that's been given to them, it's been shared with them, If the Holy Spirit uses these words, it has nothing to do with my eloquence, has nothing to do with my skill or power, but the Holy Spirit's power. You see, if you're trusting in Christ, the biggest miracle in the world has happened in your heart, and it didn't have anything to do with the preacher's power. The Spirit of God came in and worked. You know, sometimes people will say, best wishes to you. Well, who are those best wishes from? Well, best wishes from me to you. What good is that? You're going to wish for me? Who are you? Tell me promises from God. Give me hope that has authority behind it. Let the risen Christ tell me a promise. Let me pass that promise on to you. Now you got something. Christian ministry is dependent on a shared message, shared power. If any of the elders of this church pray for you when you're sick and God in His mercy decides to heal you, it says nothing of some special power that we conjured up in and of ourselves. But it shows God working powerfully through weak people by His grace. So see that Christian ministry is dependent. Notice He said, don't take anything for your journey. See, He wants to teach them to trust in Him, to trust in His providence. The reason why I know that's true is because in Luke 22, right before He's about ready to commission them for the Great Commission... He says this, I sent you out before, he means, with no money bag, knapsack, or sandals, or when I sent you out with none of those things, he asked, did you lack anything? You see, he's about ready to go up to heaven and he's reminding them, did you lack anything when I sent you out? They said, nothing. He says, all right, this time I want you to bring all that stuff. You can go read it, Luke 22. He forbids bringing it this time. But later, before he ascends into heaven, he says, okay, now bring all that stuff. But don't forget the lesson I wanted to teach you. That I will provide. Your dependence is ultimately on me. Uh, In fact, at one time, Peter in Acts 3 heals Uh, This is after Christ has risen already and the apostles are preaching and teaching and they're doing miracles. And 
he heals a, line, uh, a lame beggar. And Peter's, I, lo- I love what he says because you can just imagine how his tone is. He says, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we've made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he decided to release him. But you denied the holy righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. You killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead and to this we are witnesses. (laughs) He's saying, why do you look at us like you're impressed with us? We're just average, everyday people, fishermen, who God, through Christ, has called, shared, commissioned for them to preach the gospel and to do this ministry. Christian ministry is a dependent ministry. And second, it's a shared ministry. If you look at verse 1, he called the 12 together. Now, up to this point, Jesus is getting to the point where he can barely get to Jairus' house. Remember that last week? The crowds are so great. The word's out. He's healing everybody. It had to have been mass chaos, but he has a message to proclaim, and he has compassion to spread by healing diseases and casting out demons. And so here's when he changes his ministry plan. He gets the 12 who up to this point, he named them apostles, but they haven't been doing anything yet. But now he says, all right, here's what you're going to do. I'm going to send you out. I'm going to give you power. You go do what I'm doing. And they go do it. He multiplies himself. They went out two by two. So the teams were multiplied by six. Jesus is preaching plus six other teams. The same message is being proclaimed. More people are hearing and more people are being healed. God could have done it through angels. God could have did it through Christ alone. God decided to share this ministry with weak, everyday nobodies and to work through those of us who are powerless in and of ourselves powerfully to change people's lives. The church is a body. It's a group. You realize how many hurting people there are in Aberdeen? I can spend up to 25 hours a week biblically counseling people who have needs. And there's at least that many more hours I know of that I can't do. I know it's true. Aberdeen has so much darkness, so much pain, so much abuse, so much addiction, so many broken marriages, so many broken lies. And God is called a body to go. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, here's what he says to the person who gets saved. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God. In case you begin to boast in your new salvation, all that was done by the miracle of God, who through Christ was reconciling us to himself, 
now get this, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made Christ to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. When you got saved, guess what? People call me a preacher because this is what I do. It's actually not good theology. People call me a minister. That's not good either. You know what the Bible calls me mainly? A shepherd. You know what the job of the elders is? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. Well, those who are doing the ministry are what? Ministers. Those who are proclaiming the kingdom are what? Preachers. You're called to preach. The word is caruso. It means to herald. The message you have is not your own wisdom. It's been given to you by the king. You're a new creation, not by your own power, God's the one who gave you this ministry. He's the one who has given you new life. Now, we don't get it because we don't have a king in America. But if we lived in the day of a king, you might be in the courtyard doing business like you normally would. And all of a sudden, an ambassador would come and say, Hear ye, hear ye, the message of the king. And now he's speaking on the king's behalf with full authority from the throne. You've seen it in the old movies when they come riding in on the horse and you have this ambassador. That's what we're called. I don't think that means I walk into Caribou Coffee and say, hear ye, hear ye, the message of the king. But I do think I walk into Caribou Coffee and my life is lived in such a way that's you got to know the message of the king. You have to understand the hope. The third thing Christian ministry is, is preaching, which simply means heralding, proclaiming a message that's not in your own authority. It's not in your own power. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation, not the person saying it. It's a shared message, a shared power, a shared ministry, ambassadors speak on behalf of the king, and you are cut out for it if you're saved. No, I'm not. Well, remember what Paul says? That's why you're qualified. The reason why Scott, Dave, and I are here as elders is to help equip you to do what God has called you to do. Your family members need to hear the message of the king. What is the message of the king? Mark's gospel says to proclaim a message of repentance. The poor shepherds lied to the people of Israel and said, peace, peace, when there was no peace. But the apostles, the good shepherds come and say, you're sinful, and God is angry with your sin, and God is a good and just God. He will punish it. 
but there's good news. The kingdom of God is at hand. The king is down here right now. Everyone's getting healed. They're hearing the good news preached to them that their sins can be forgiven by a merciful God. But our message is a message of repentance and hope. You need to turn from this life that's leading to death and turn to your Savior, Christ. And the third thing about that message, and you see it in this text, is it's a message that divides. Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace, but to bring a sword, to divide families in half. You see, if you can imagine, I'm preaching the gospel to you, and if it went out like a V, you're either going to end up on the right side or left side. That's what Christian preaching is like. There is no neutral. You either receive the Son, receive the King, or in the end, when the Son comes, you will be judged by Him for your sins because you denied the Savior. You see, we don't have an easy message. It's always been offensive, but it is a message of life. You know, I used to share the gospel, and I'd get done sharing it, and I'd be like, hoofta. Now, I'm talking personally to someone who isn't saved yet. It's like I got through that, and then I started to be convicted. Because the end of this passage, he says, if they don't receive you, knock the dust off your feet as a symbolic judgment against that village, against those people. In Matthew's gospel, what he says uh, on the same text is he says it's going to be better for Sodom and Gomorrah than these places if they don't turn to Christ. It's a loving warning. And I was convicted that when I'm sharing a gospel with someone, I got to let them know that this message from the king uh, you have to deal with. You're going to go one way or the other. There is no neutral. You either receive the message with joy and are saved, and your sins are forgiven, and Jesus' righteousness is in your account, or you ignore the king's message, and one day are going to face the king's authority. You see, the guy with the sign that says you're going to burn in hell, and all those signs like that, here's the thing they miss. There's only one person that can damn and, and judge ultimately, and is gone. We're given the good news as Christians. We're given the message. Yes, we warn that one day he will come. We have no authority to tell someone at all that you're damned because you didn't listen to me right now on the sidewalk. What we say to them is listen to the good news. Look at what God has offered you in Christ. If you don't receive it, know he will come back. He's a good God. He's a good judge. You need a sacrifice. We're sent to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. Can you talk? If you're saved and you can talk, and I can help you with this, and we can help each other with this, but we need to be equipped to tell people about the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. You don't have to be eloquent. You can stumble through it, but don't worry. 
The power is in the message. It's not in your own skill and your own abilities. Humbly fulfill your ministry because Christian ministry is compassionate. You see there, if you look at verse 1, he called them, uh, the 12, gave them power and authority over all the demons and to cure diseases. And he set them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. See, Jesus just wasn't this loudmouth guy proclaiming something. But with his message of hope, and with full authority, comes compassion. He cares about the widow who lost her son. He cares about the little girl he's just raised from the dead. Get her something to eat. He healed all their needs. Most of those people never did believe in him. A lot of those people ended up saying, crucify him. Christian ministry is compassionate. That's why Paul says what? Speak truth in love. We're a people that are willing to weep with those who weep. We're not people who say, kind of live up here and look at Aberdeen and say, oh, don't worry about your problems. Just come join our club. Get our wisdom. No, we come right down in the midst of their suffering. And we love them and we care for them and we help them as we share the message of the kingdom with them. See, it takes humility to fulfill Christian ministry. Christian ministry is content. What does the Bible say about all the false teachers? They use godliness as a means for shameful gain. Ministry was all about building their own pride, building their own bank accounts. In fact, the reason why he tells them to just go to a house and stay there is the practice of the religious teachers of those days was to go from house to house to house to house. And every house he stayed, they would put a burden on the people that you need to give us money. And they would get rich. They were evil shepherds taking advantage of widows, taking advantage of people for shameful gain. But Christian ministry is self-sacrificial. It trusts in the providence of God. He says, whichever house receives you, stay there. Don't go from house to house. If they give you food to eat, eat it. Be thankful to God that the provision is from Him. Paul tells young Timothy this, Paul's an old man. Timothy's a young minister. And he warns them of false teachers. He says, they have constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we'll be content. This is an old man teaching a young preacher, a young minister to be content with food and clothing. In Philippians 4.11, Paul says, I'm not speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. For I know how to be brought low, I know how to abound. 
In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. You see, Christian ministry is hard. And it's hard to be content. You get right in the midst of all the struggle. And a lot of times you are looking for God to provide in spiritual ways. It could be financial needs. It could be all sorts of things. But remember, Christian ministry is a dependent ministry on God. Ministering to His people through the chief shepherd, the king. The thing I want to leave you with is this. Verse 6 says, They departed and went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. (laughs) Their first attempt works. It's amazing, right? Ordinary, everyday fishermen, tax collectors. It works. God shows himself powerfully through them. There's a lot more lessons to learn. Peter gets self-confidence in himself, denies him three times, learns an important lesson about depending on himself. But then God commissioned, Jesus commissions them again. He says, I'm going to go. And when I go, wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, go proclaim the kingdom to the ends of the earth. And the reason why you and I are here today is because those 12 men were good shepherds. They fulfilled their ministry. They died to protect the sheep. That's why we have a New Testament. That's why we know about Christ. And we're called to disciple each other, go make disciples, love each other, show compassion as we preach the kingdom of God, that it's at hand and it's coming. It's already come in Christ. Everyone got healed. Then he went up to heaven. Now everyone's not getting healed. Some people are by the grace of God, but not like they were. But when he shows up again, he will judge those outside of Christ and he'll save those in Christ. My prayer is is that you know him. And if you know him, that you desire to be equipped. I'm not talking about even necessarily going door to door, anything like that. You know people. You have people you love. God can help you share the hope you have with other people. And we're here at Sovereign Grace to help you do that. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you shared the greatest news in the world with us. You opened our eyes to it and then gave us the privilege to have the ministry of reconciliation. What a wonderful ministry. We get to tell people they can be made right with God. Lord, I pray that you would help us not trust in ourselves, but trust in you. Lord, I help, pray that you'd help us not to be prideful and make excuses as though we think that somehow we need to be skillful enough, but that we would believe your words, that the power is given to us through the Holy Spirit in Christ to fulfill it. Lord, that people might know the hope of Christ through us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.